Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. This is Thunder and Lightning here on Super Talk Mississippi. Brian Haydad and Joel T. Coleman. Woo! Here with you on a Thursday morning. And as you listen to this, depending on what time of the morning it is, Joel and I may already be on the road to Joel Mahal, Nebraska, with our fantastic new logo wear. Now, what we showed you in that picture, by the way, is just the, the tip of the iceberg. We got three shirts each. Maroon, white, and gray. Got, we got polos. The, the banner. We got a polo shirt. And we got uh, some swag for y'all. We got some uh, some fans. It's going to be hot in Omaha. It's going to be hot in Omaha. Joel Maha. Joel Maha. So we're going to hook that up. We will take care of that, though, when we get there and give you an idea of where you can come meet up with us. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have some – might have a beer together as well when we do that. That do. Beer. For, for this guy. Uh, <laughs> Anybody wants to bring me a diet do to have an extra? I'm going to tell you this right one, now. Man, looking at, you know, I, I did our research for for this trip. Yes. A lot of Pepsi products in Nebraska. <laughs> a lot of places where, where... And that's good for me. That's good for me, too. Uh, it's, not, because, it's not Joel Maha for nothing. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's good for me because then it, I drink water. Yeah. I won't drink a Pepsi. There you so go. So it's all going to work out. Uh, what do we got going on today? First of all, let's think... We want to thank our, our, our friends over. They're getting the first shout-out today. It's Almond Printing in Aberdeen, Mississippi, for hooking up this incredible swag package for us. It I'll, is just. I'll be honest with you. The other morning when we were sitting here, State wins the Super, and we just mentioned that we need shirts, I don't think that the thought actually crossed my mind that someone was going to give us shirts. And lo and behold, we didn't just get shirts. Yeah, we got a whole package We got of a stuff. back seat full of stuff. And... I can't thank you guys enough. It's outstanding. And so if you've got anything, you know, need to advertise, you need to make some shirts, you need to do you whatever. You need to call Almond Printing. That's your boys right there. They will, they will, if, they take, if they'll take care of, of you, the paying customer, <laughs> as well as they took care of us, the guys who asked for freebies, buddy, all of your problems are going to be solved. So give them a call over there. I think i got the phone number right here, 662-369-4848, or go see them on West Commerce Street in Aberdeen, Mississippi, at Almond Printing Company. Thank our, our other sponsor, our actual sponsor, Strange Brew Coffeehouse, Churn and Spoon Ice Cream. I was at Strange Brew today. I picked up one of my, uh, my Brew It Forward, so my, my lovely wife thanks you for her albino score, and I left one for y'all. First person that can go in there and show they follow both myself and Joel on Twitter, your next latte or whatever you want to have is on Brian Haydad. So and it, and if, if, if it hadn't been picked up, uh, one of you can go in and... Uh, either just lie about it or whatever, because I left one the other day that just said for a listener of Thunder and Lightning. So you could just go lie. And, yeah. Although I guess if you heard this, you didn't lie. You Don't, didn't lie. Don't lie. Don't lie. I'm not encouraging lying. Listener. I'm just saying that you could. Be a listener. And of course, we didn't get into them, but however you're listening to our podcast, we appreciate that, especially our great servicemen and women across America. Coming up on, uh, you know, we're, we're less than a month away from July 4th when we get to celebrate this great country of ours. And uh, we're going to do so in style with these shirts. These shirts are fantastic. <laughs> I couldn't be happier. I mean, we literally... I could not be happy because at some point, probably over the course, if we're if you're if we're in, if we're in Joel Maha for two weeks, mm-hmm. there's a chance we're going to have to stop by the laundromat. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, we're going to have to do happen. some laundry. Yeah. So we 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 have now what three t-shirts and a polo each. That's four shirts I've added to my rotation. I mean, we can either add to the rotation or just make a couple trips to the laundromat and just wear one of these every day. Yeah, we could do that. So there's that. I'm, I might not want to do it when I go out. <laughs> Like, I don't want to go to the bar with a shirt on, on, with me. <laughs> That's a bit much. It feels like ego overkill. But that, I'll go ahead and tell you right now, uh, first game, Sunday night, Joel T. and I are rocking these these Joel Mahal, Brent Nebraska <laughs> You darn polos. right we are. We're going to be mad. You know, Steve Robertson's been getting on us about matching because coincidentally, the last few times we wore, like, 
I think we both wore a black shirt on Sunday, yeah. which may or may not have been on purpose. And then, uh, but on s- Saturday, I wore a blue shirt, and you wore a white shirt with a blue hat. And he was he which, was complaining uh, that we were, my, we were my, matching. My navy blue Braves hat, which I which you wear almost all the time. always wear. And so now, but I'm telling you right now, we're going to be matching uh, on this one. All right, good show today. We got a lot of baseball, as you can imagine, but we also have our first opponent preview: the Egg Bowl, the Ole Miss Rebels. Brian Scott Rippey, the only BSR I do business with, and of course the Doctor will join me later to talk about that, and then Joel and I will talk a way-too-early preview of the Ole Miss uh, football game. Yeah, that, that's a big show whenever you're talking about going to Omaha and talking about the Egg Bowl and all that's happening It's got everything. Show. It's got everything. This is also the final show that will take place in Starfield, Mississippi, before we know whether or not Mississippi stays the national champion. That's right. Every other show from henceforth will until be one or the, the other. end will be in Joel Maha, Nebraska. That's right. All right. Nebraska. Nebraska. You had a good topic idea before we got in here, though. We've talked about this this team. We, we've analyzed them almost to death of, of what we know about this team and what we predict and blah, blah, blah. But you had an idea about this. What this year has surprised you, if anything? If anything has surprised you. So you had the idea. Give me give me a positive surprise. For me, one of the – man, there are several. Um, I guess I'll start here because he's probably the next guy I'm going to write a, a story about um, – I did not realize that Dustin Skelton was going to turn into That's a good the, the answer. freaking beast that he's turned into. You know, last year in Tallahassee, he kind of started to break out a little bit. He, he was really good offensively. Um, I mean, you saw flashes of a really good catcher there. Uh, but coming into this year, I mean, he was obviously the guy that you thought would get most of the load at catching. But if you'll remember back to Chris Lamonis' preseason uh, media day, he was talking about how all those guys were going to catch Dustin and mm-hmm. Gilbert and Landon, jo- uh, not Landon Jordan, uh, Hayden Jones, Hayden Jones um, Josh Hatcher, uh, yeah. not Josh Hatcher, Josh. <laughs> gosh, I'm so lost in the t-shirt here. Marshall Gilbert, uh, Marshall Gilbert, wow. Luke Hancock is yeah. what I was trying to say, not Josh Hatcher. But anyway, he was saying that all those guys were going to uh, to catch some and things, and and it's not a knock on those guys. They just they haven't caught a lot because. You about can't take Dustin Skelton off the field. Yeah. I mean, he is that important to the pitching staff. He is that important to the lineup, which, I mean, yeah, I guess you could DH Dustin Skelton and let somebody else catch and that sort of thing. But how he's playing, he is – I don't want to say he is the most underrated player on the team because I think people have recognized by this point how good he is and how good he is at shutting down the running game and how good he is at managing the pitching staff and everything that he's he's done. So I don't want to say that he gets overlooked at all. But coming into this year, I didn't see this kind of year coming from her. Yeah, and it's it's not only uh, it's not only it's not one thing or the other. It's not offense or defense. It's both. Yeah, because last year he was not really good defensively. And now you don't run on him anymore. And then offensively, he hit what two, a buck, maybe two twenty, with a couple of home runs, both of which were in Tallahassee, I believe. And this year, he's well over three hundred. He's been, he was the hottest hitter in the super regional. He's got double digit home runs. He's just so consistent. He's become like the second cleanup hitter. You know, he's the guy that, you know, say, uh, you know, Mac, or Mangum gets on and Westberg, and then Allen drives a couple of them in, and then you know maybe you get maybe you get one out, and then Foscue drives somebody in. But so you've got second and third with Foscue and Allen, and it's Skelton's the guy cleaning them up. Yeah, yeah, it's such a luxury to have too because look in the game of baseball, not that you won't take an offensive catcher, but you look around the big leagues even 
there aren't a ton of guys at the catching position that are there for their bats. I mean, the catching position is all about managing the pitching staff, defense, controlling the running game. Anything you get with the bat is just the icing on top of the cake, the gravy on the biscuit kind of deal. And You caught my attention there. Gravy on the biscuit. <laughs> uh, so, I, I mean – and, and you've gotten more than that out of Dustin, Dustin, Dustin Skelton. It's so, so difficult. I'm sitting here looking at myself, looking at me. We're, we're both wearing our Joel Mahan Brian's t-shirts here, folks. If you haven't seen the picture already, look at check out our Twitter accounts. But we both have them on still. And so as I sit here and look at <laughs> Brian, looking at I'm looking at a picture of me. And me. And him, too. But you've got, you got double it's, vision it's on me. It's, it's Brian, and then above Brian, I have Brian. Double vision. <laughs> so anyway, Dustin Skelton, his, his his glove, his arm, his bat. I mean, if you made me rank the surprises on this team, I don't. It may be one, and for me anyway, a a, a close second. Again, another really good player here that I'm fixing to mention. I just did not see what's come from him, Justin Foscue. Yeah, did not see him becoming you know Brent Rooker Jr out there and just popping bombs and ripping the ball. I think he's like the only – shout out to uh, Tyler Horka, uh, who wrote an article on Justin Foscue a day or so ago. But um, I believe that, that Foscue is the only player on the team that hadn't had a two-game stretch without a hit. Yeah, I think that's correct, something like that, yeah. So, I mean, he's been consistent, left-handers, right-handers, power. Uh, and it's such a cool story, too. I think we mentioned it a couple times, but – Coming into the seat, coming into the fall last fall, when Chris Lamonis first got here, he comes over to to Justin Foscue and and says, you know, you don't scare me at all in the plate at the plate when you're up there. You don't scare me a lick. Mm-hmm. And you know, we've told the story too about Justin. He seems like the kind of guy that that'll put a chip on your shoulder a little bit, and he seems like one that could kind of thrive in that. But he, he made an adjustment a little bit with with Gotro, and I mean, he, he comes out and I mean, he's your leading home run hitter now. What is it, fourteen bombs? Fourteen. Uh, you, you just I don't know. I, I didn't see that coming. The, the swap of him to from third to second has worked out fantastically, mm-hmm. uh, and, and so and he's continued to thrive offensively through that. I don't know. To to me, whenever you ask me what's the two most positive, biggest surprises, one uh, A is probably Dustin Skelton, and one B is probably Justin Foscue. All right, I'll go another way. Although I agree with you, those. Uh, but for me, the two guys at the bottom of the order, Hatcher and Gilbert. Who would have predicted them to both be over 300 at, at this time of year to be big contributors? Uh, you know, and Gilbert to make a position change. And yeah, he had some errors last week, but he's been very solid over there. I mean, the the the, the swap midseason, and that's something with Lamonis to give him a lot of credit for because a lot of guys when they're winning, because what was State's record when they decided to make this swap? Maybe four or five losses, and they decided to make that change. And Gilbert has just come in there, and you know. To the point where when he makes an error, you're surprised. It's 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 not all the time. So and that and his bat has just been good at the bottom of the order. And this sort of this is why state's such a problem is there's no there's no dead spot. There's no spot where you're like, well, we can get a couple outs here. I mean, Hatcher's hitting over. They're both hitting over 300. I think everybody on the team is around is at least 290 now. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's nearly impossible. The the, the from the regular starters, like the lowest batting average right now might be, and I'm saying might because I'm not looking at the stats. It's Roddy Jordan, I think. Well, or I was going to say it might be McNamee. And he's like two. And that's your lowest hitter, and he's like 290. And, and, and probably is the most clutch hitter in your lineup and the guy that, in a big spot, nobody wants to see Elijah McNamee come to the plate. Right. Nobody. The other guy that's a surprise, and how could it not be this guy? It's Jared Liebelt. Oh, yeah. Gosh, how did I forget him? 
I mean, got to be right. That, that's one. That's one A okay. or one I mean, B he, or one he, C. That's one something. A season ago, he was the white flag. He was. We just need somebody to pitch, and the score is irrelevant. We have to get through an inning. Somebody to throw three outs, however they get them, however many runs they give up around them. Don't care. Game's already over, one way or the other. This he's going into pitch now. If if we go to the if state goes to the national championship final. And there's two on, nobody out, and State's up one, and you brought in Lee Belt, I'm confident that he'll get the three outs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that and, is as big of – it's almost a bigger flip-flop. He's right there with Chad Gerardo. Just right there. With, it's the same thing. He went from, oh, God, he's coming in to – Please okay, put him please, in. You, we need to get him in the ball game. Yeah. And that's crazy to me, the, the I, amount of change. Yeah, I, I don't know how. I guess I had offense on the brain and, and things and, and the lineup on the brain as, as we were began talking about this, but that may trump Foskey Renskill. Yeah. I, I don't know how. how Biggest turnaround on the team for yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, because at least last year, Foskey and Skelton had moments of contribution. You know, I, not to short Jared Liebelt anything here, but I don't recall anything on last year's run to Omaha to where Jarrett Liebelt played much of a role in that. And that's not a knock on him at all. It's just the truth kind of deal. Um, maybe there, if there was a moment that I'm forgetting, please forgive me. But if there was a moment, it was a very brief one. And this year, man, he is one of the key cogs of the wheel. Without him, I don't know where this team would be. Right. And like you said, I, I, last year he, he goes from the white flag, he goes from the mop-up man to, to this. And it, it's... It's incredible. I guess, you know, it, I, to, to kind of keep along the, the thing of surprises, a, a couple other things surprised me. It's not really negatives. It's just I didn't really see this coming. If you had told me this kind of stuff was going to happen at the beginning of the year, I would have told you State might be in trouble. I'm surprised it's, you know, we've gotten to this point and, and Spencer Price just is apparently not right, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess we're kind of switching gears here from – really positive stuff that has surprised us to some maybe negative type stuff. But uh, if you had told me at the beginning of the year that State was going to get basically not much out of Spencer Price and, you know, Riley Self has struggled at times in that pen, you know, if you had told me that those two were going to struggle or you weren't going to get a ton of contribution out of them, I would have been majorly, majorly, majorly concerned about this Mississippi State bullpen. Yeah. I really did think, yeah, I, I agree with you. I thought Spencer Price would be a bigger piece this year. And and Self, Self has been in and out. Yeah. And he's had a couple of good moments, but it, it's pretty obvious that the 17th season really drained them. And, you know, we'll see if they can ever make it all the way back. But, I mean, and, and, and a lot of people, and I'm actually talking positive about Andy Canizero here. A lot of people want to blame him for that, but I don't think he had any options there. He didn't have any other pitches. Yeah, who are you going to throw? Like, we want to win games. What are you going to do? So, yeah, there, there's that. I mean, from a, uh, from uh, negative's not the right word, but I'm surprised this didn't happen. Kind of, kind of. Uh, it's it's not a preseason to now, but the way Ginn started off, I thought he might be. I thought he might be like completely untouchable. Yeah. Like after his first four or five starts, I was like, this kid might not lose. This I year. really think that JT was the prime example of a freshman coming to college, and no matter how good you are. Your arm just is not used to throwing this many innings with that much pressure. It's just not. And you have to build that. You have to build that strength. You have to build that endurance. Uh, and, and, I mean, you're at the point of the season where, you know, about that Tennessee point, 
I would guess is is right about the point where he's never pitched that much in his life. Yeah. And 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 not even that. You know, I, to me, it's not even so much how much he's pitched, although that's a big part of it. It's the fact that you're pitching in really important ball games in front of big crowds with, you know, trying to at that point lock up national seeds and try and win the West and try and win the SEC. I mean, that's a little different than, you know, playing high school ball in April on some field in front of 50 people. Yeah. You know, it's just different. And, and and so you have the the combined effects of the pressure of the moments plus your workload is beyond what it's ever been before. It's not a surprise to me that a freshman, even if it is the, the national pitcher of the year uh, or national freshman of the year, according to a couple of outlets, I think, uh, you know, it's no surprise to me that, that he might kind of fall off just a little bit, and, and he, he kind of has. You wonder, because now he's had two full weeks of nothing, basically. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he had that before, right? He never had a weekend where he did not start. He started that. He got the one inning. He got the one so, inning. I mean, the thing, you think about is, you know, yeah, he threw one inning, maybe like 15, 20 pitches, right? But how many warm-up throws and getting, yeah, getting the body ready? Yeah, and, and things like that. And he hasn't had that at all. It's just been rest. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's – obviously they're not going to – He's practiced, but yeah, that's they it. May, may have thrown a bullpen or something. I don't know yet. But, I mean, he was supposed to, you know, practicing things the other day. So, I, I'm sure he's not just going to pick up a baseball in Omaha for the first time in two weeks. So, I know he's done that. But he's basically had a couple of full weeks rest now. And, and so, you wonder if he's not going to go out there at TD Ameritrade Park and kind of be refreshed – at least enough to get you through another couple of starts, which is probably all he has left. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, you know. I agree. I'll tell you the last surprise for me, anyway. Lamonis. I mean, talk about a guy coming in, and they they gave him. You know, he, he got a he, he had a good team, but just having a good team is not enough. You know, and I mean, on this very campus, there's a coach who was handed a good team and underachieved. This guy overachieved. You know, I think this team is really, really good. I didn't think they were 51-13 and 13 undefeated in the regional and sub-regional and one of the betting favorites to win the College World Series good. And he's just pushed all the right buttons. His staff has done a I mean, who can we give credit to for Lee Belt being better and for, you know, Barlow's been better this year and, and some other things? It's got to be him and his staff. They've done a yeah. fantastic yeah. job to the point where, like, I don't – I feel, almost feel bad for him. What's he going to do next year? What's the encore? You know, it's it's not going to be like this every season, is it? Yeah. So I mean, he's he's but for a guy that you know, anybody who who will be honest with themselves when they heard his name was either like who, or they were disappointed because they had bought into Schlossnagel or McDonald coming. Yeah. And he has proved all the doubters wrong. In reality, I don't know if he didn't win the SEC Coach of the Year. He should be the National Coach of the Year. Amen. In my opinion. I agree. And you know, I know that there's probably some folks out there that think like, you know, Jared Liebelt, Tristan Barlow, those guys improve. Well, that's, that's all Scott Foxhall, right? Who hired Scott Foxhall? It's got to Fox- be. Who's, who hired Scott Foxhall? Who, who, who brought him onto this staff? Uh, some people might say, well, you know, so much of this is Jake Gotro, you know, Foscue turning things around, or not really turning things around, but blossoming. Uh, Dustin Skelton's development as an offensive player. Um, you know, you, you draw up whatever you want to say about the offense, and you might say, well, that's, that's Jake Gotro. Chris Lamonis didn't have to keep Jake Gotro. No. You know, uh, who made that call? Chris Lamonis. Everything that that man has done has turned to gold. Yeah, he inherited a good team. He, he got handed a... He got handed a, uh, you know, 
name me a top of the line car, Mercedes, whatever. I don't yeah. know. He got handed that, and it, for sure. But that car still had to be driven, and it could have been driven into a ditch. That's happened before. Yeah, you know, that's happened yeah. plenty of times. You have to manage these personalities of guys. And look, some guys, I, you know, I don't know if anybody was actively campaigning for like Gary Henderson to keep the job or not. But there were guys that loved Gary Henderson. Heck, I just did a story on one guy the other day that that's the maybe the only reason he's still at Mississippi State, Peyton Plumley. Yeah, Gary Henderson basically, you know, beat his chest for that guy and, and and stood up for that guy and said he needs to be here. Now that's one of your, you know, maybe your number two starter. Yeah. right now, yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, Chris Lamonis didn't have to let him back on the team. You know, Gary Henderson was kind of the one beating his chest for for, for Peyton Plumley, but. Between that and, and talking to Gotro and everything, Chris Lamonis, his quote about all that was, you know, I none of my guys on my staff are perfect. Who are we to expect anybody else to be perfect? You know, we thought he deserved another chance kind of thing. He lets him back on the team. He made the right call there. You know, Peyton has done nothing but be great on the field and off. Um, there have been so many things that we've heard positive about, about Chris Lamonis, from the way he manages his practices to the managing of time. These guys – know what to expect when they come to practice and how long they're going to be there and it's just a more efficient type practice and and we heard i think ethan small at the beginning of the year talking about how they can you know plan their studying time even and stuff around stuff because they know that we're going to go to practice and we're going to be gone at this time and we, everything has just been smooth all that's chris lamonis yeah oh by the way he's still recruiting pretty good too yeah i mean i don't know if surprising is the right word but kind of like kind of like we were saying i mean you bring in the wrong person here you bring in someone that's not a right, the right fit for this program, and I don't know that you and I are sitting here right now wearing Joel Mahavnebranska shirts with our goofy faces on them. I, I just don't know that that's happening. If anyone other than Chris Lamonis is guiding this ship, I don't know. Maybe there is, but I'm not saying that there wouldn't other coaches that might could have done it too. But Chris Lamonis sure did it. We know he can do it because he's done it. I agree. I agree with you. Uh, yeah, just. For a year that I had high expectations, I thought this team would get back to Omaha, but they've surprised me at how good they were. I never thought they'd be fifty-one and thirteen. I didn't think they were going to only lose one game out of the conference. Yeah, you know when you look at that early season schedule, they got Southern, they had that series with Texas Tech. Uh, you know they, they 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 didn't they had the East Carolina game. You know those were good teams, and State beat them all. Yeah, you know, one time, one nothing, a, a one nothing game in ten innings, they lose to USM, and that's it. Hey, let, let me ask you this. Yeah. And this may be a conversation for another day, so if you want to table it, we can. Sure. Chris Lamonis wins the national championship. Mm-hmm. I mean, how much of a leash does that guy have for the rest of it? Like, he, he could just... Well, I wouldn't go after any football staffers, but, I mean, he's got a pretty big leash. <laughs> I mean, at that point, yeah, it's like... I mean, you've got him. He, he immediately shoots to the top, right? Does he shoot ahead of Schaefer as most beloved coach? I don't know if that's the case. Uh, Schaefer has so much already built in because he's been here for years and years. And, and on top and of that, Schaefer, Chris is so he's so chill. He's just a chill guy, and Schaefer is so passionate. So I think that, that carries a long way. But he wins a national title, and, and Schaefer too. Schaefer is more of a, and, and not because he tries to be, but he, to me, Schaefer is more of an out front type personality. Like yeah. he's kind of out in front. To me, this baseball team, the players are more out front. The Mangums and the Cole Gordons and the you know Elijah McNamees and things. Where you're right, I think chill is the right word. Lamonis kind of is in the background, so I don't know that 
where he as he deserves a ton of credit, I don't know that he gets the credit he deserves because of those strong personalities that are in front of him because they've been here. I mean, they've been the foundation of the program for the last three or four years, you know, those other guys. So it's not a knock on Chris. He just he's the new guy in town, so to speak. So yeah. I don't know that he gets as much and, and then you have Vic Schaefer, people have been investing in him now for what, six years or whatever it's been. So yeah. six, seven years. So um I don't know. I mean, he's but you win a national championship and you bring it to, to Mississippi State in baseball. In baseball, I mean, I don't know if he's surpassing Vic Schaefer or not, but I mean, he's he's up there as as I mean, hand him the keys to the city and he'll never have to he'll never have to buy a meal in Starfield in the rest of his life. No, Joel, just a, just a heads up uh, for the the whole time we're in Omaha. Yeah, the the high is never above eighty nine, so that's good news. Sat, Sunday night. High is eighty five, low is sixty three. That's very that, that's good polo wearing weather. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've kind of had that nice weather here in Starkville. It's crazy. The last it's crazy. Days. It's Today it's actually seventy three up there. And wow, yeah. it's gonna be this. It's this good stuff. You tell good me, stuff. I might need to. Do I need to pack long pants in, in, anywhere in here? Might want, might want to bring a pullover. You never know. I don't. I don't think. I mean, the low is never hot, lower than sixty three. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. All right. It'll be colder on Thanksgiving night. I bet than sixty three degrees. Mississippi State versus Ole Miss. Definitely be cold in some people's hearts that night. <laughs> that is the truth about that matter. Uh, so, four years in a row now, the, the road team has won this game. I really feel confident that streak's going to break this year. Even sitting here in November or in uh, in June, talking about a game to be played in November, State is just better than Ole Miss, yeah. top to bottom, right now. Yeah. Uh, but that said, State was better than Ole Miss in 2017. So strange things can happen. Obviously. Before Joel and I talk about the Egg Bowl, let's talk to the uh, other half of Sports Talk Mississippi who covers the Rebels. My friend Brian Scott Rippey, the good doctor, joins us to preview the Egg Bowl. It's really hard to believe with the College World Series going on and baseball just wrapping up in Oxford that the Egg Bowl is, is we're ready to talk about it. We're only 12 weeks away from the start of football season. So, of course, my man Brian Scott Rippey, the good doctor, joining us here on Thunder and Lightning. Brian, when I look at this Rebel team from a season ago, on the outside looking in, obviously a lot of changes in the coaching staff, a lot of changes in personnel. We'll start at quarterback with Matt Corral, who I thought showed some flashes last year. It looks like he's a very talented young quarterback. But in the Rich Rodriguez offense that wants to run its quarterback as much as it does, how does he fit into that system? Well, I think from the limited sample size you saw last year, it was a very limited one. Um, one of the main takeaways I actually got from, from kind of his I think he may have played 50 plays last season, and that, that may be a little strong. But he was he was a more willing runner than I thought. Like he had 60 something yards in one game, and like 110 against ULM. Now, granted, like it's ULM, and 70 of that came on one play. But point being, he ran the ball, and even in Longo's offense, ran the ball intentionally more often than I thought. So I actually thought that aspect of it uh, translated better, and I think will translate pretty well to. Um, Rich Rodriguez's system. My thing is, is I haven't seen enough from him throwing the ball, and I know he's got some arm talent, but I kind of wonder about the accuracy and how he fits in throwing the ball from this system because really he didn't see a ton of that in the limited action he had last year. He didn't see a ton of running either, but one thing that stuck out to me was that he actually was more of a willing runner than I originally thought he would be. This might be the first time that I can remember, maybe since Deuce McAllister was at Ole Miss, that the running back situation in Oxford looks really good and the wide receiver situation is the one that has the question marks. You know, Scotty Phillips, I think he's going to be a big player for Ole Miss. And I liked Woolard. I thought he was a, a good depth guy. Um, and then you bring in Jerry Ely. 
Can the running backs carry this offense while the wide receivers, you know, I think there's some talent there with Moore and Sanders, but I think is this going to be more of the run-heavy kind of offense that we haven't seen from Ole Miss in a long time? I think it probably will be more run-heavy than it's been in the past. I agree with Lungo and even some of Freeze. It's not exactly saying much. I think this is kind of the most interesting part of this team for me because you have an all-SEC caliber back in Phillips who proved to be really good last year. Because if you remember at the beginning of last year, the biggest question on offense was how are they going to place, replace Jordan Wilkins, and he did that very well. So how do they use Ely and Willard? And as far as the receivers are concerned, it's going to be a different receiver group. Like You kind of have a Lodge-slash-Metcalf type of guy, and I don't mean like to their level. And Demarcus Gregory, who's kind of a bigger guy that will go up and get balls. But then you really kind of have more so. Like, Miles Battle is a pretty good receiver, and then you have a speedy guy out of the slot. So, like, how they're used and how that kind of complements the run game will be interesting because I think it'll be different. I think you'll get the ball out of Corral's hands quicker, particularly with Moore and Tyler Knight, some in the slot. I think they may run them some laterally. Um, Kind of some more quick-hitting stuff to get the ball out of Corral's hands because the offensive line is the biggest area of concern with this team, and I think they'll do anything to take pressure off of them. So, you know, I would think from a running back perspective, I think Phillips is still the bell cow, but I think, you know, Ely probably gets 15, 16, 17 touches a game, some of that running the ball, some of it catching out of the backfield. I'm fascinated to kind of figure out how they use that and how they balance the run in the pass. Obviously, the big problem for Ole Miss a season ago was the defense. They simply just could not stop anybody. Wesley McGriff is out. I never thought that was a good hire. I don't think that you did either. Uh, they bring in uh, Mike McIntyre from Colorado. Defensively, they should at least be better coached and better schemed. But do they have the talent to, to be better defensively? I think that's kind of the great unknown because I think you hit on the first part of it. It just sounds, I mean, it sounds, it sounds dumb, but I've said it a couple of times this offseason. They're going to get lined up in the right place. They're going to know what to do most of the time, and they're going to tackle better just kind of by default. McIntyre is a guy that's kind of known for doing a lot with a little. I mean, he won at San Jose State, which is one of the worst D1 jobs in the country, if not the worst. You know, Colorado, not exactly a powerhouse, takes him to a Pac-12 South title. His defenses are known for kind of doing a lot with a little. So, will they be better? I'm not sure. Like, they've got some nice young linebackers. They've got a little bit of depth on the defensive line. I'm not sure how their, you know, outside pass rush is going to be, because that's really something that killed them last year. And then you got to replace a decent bit in the secondary. You got a couple corners coming back, but who do they replace? You know, CJ Moore at safety. Kind of how does some of that shake out? It'll be interesting. So, will they be better results wise? I don't know. I, I genuinely don't. But like, it, it'll look different. Like whatever result they get to will be a bit more visually appeasing than than last year. We talked about Jerion Ely for a second. Who are some new faces in Oxford that could play a big role beyond him? Um, Sam Williams is probably the best player they signed in the class, the JUCO defensive end. Um, that's a guy that kind of sticks out. Um, and then there are a couple over there, maybe young guys. I'm interested to see John Rice Plumley because I think he's got potential to be the backup quarterback. Um, just because nothing I really saw from Tisdale or Ken K. Dent, even though shout out to the J Raiders. Um, <laughs> Ah. Nothing really stuck, stuck out to me there. So, like, I think he's athletic enough to play some safety on this defense. It's not like he's cracking a juggernaut of a depth chart. But they also kind of need a backup quarterback. So I would say those two guys definitely um, – Williams is definitely going to help them immediately on defense. I'll be curious to see how they use Plumlee and if he's used it all. 
We're talking about the last game of the season, but to me, the first game of the season is incredibly important for Ole Miss. A trip to Memphis, you know that Memphis is going to make that game their Super Bowl. It's going to be a very uh, raucous environment up there. And if Ole Miss wins that game, then they have a chance to get some momentum going. If they lose it, I don't know really know where the Rebels are going to go. For, for you, how important is it for Ole Miss to get that first win? Oh, man, that's going to be the, – it's probably one of the weirder dynamics to start a season that I can remember. It was kind of the same way last year, if you'll remember, with Texas Tech. Cause it's like if you lose to Tech, who are you going to beat coming down – like, you know, going down the stretch. But nowhere to this degree because you're exactly right. Like, if they beat Memphis, you know, there's a path. They could carve out five, maybe six wins if things go well and they look okay. But you lose to Memphis, like, you're really beating Arkansas and Cal? Like, maybe? I, I wouldn't bet on it. So, yeah, that game is absolutely huge for them from a momentum standpoint because if you win, you feel okay about yourself. I think I saw Memphis had opened up as a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. I know that's far out, but that doesn't necessarily bode well for, for, the, for the old Rebels there. So, that's a huge game. And the month of September for this team is fascinating because you got Arkansas, Cal, Memphis and, like, I can't remember who the tiny school is they're playing in between, but, like, you got to win, what, three of those four minimum? Like, you got to beat two of the three of Arkansas and Cal to have a chance, and if they don't, it could uh, it could get fairly ugly. And that fifth game, I believe, is against Alabama, right? Yes, like, it's Alabama, and then you get Vandy after that, and then the rest of the stretch is brutal. So, like... Like if they if they're hopping into Tuscaloosa at like two and two or one and four, I'm not I'm not liking their chances down the stretch. I wouldn't either. Uh, Matt Luke, year three, you know, first year I thought he did a fantastic job. Last year I felt like they underachieved a little bit. They 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 could have they they they, they lost games they should have won. Year three for him is is it a, is it a year where he could be bad enough to lose his job? Is it a year where it's good enough to get everybody to get back on the bandwagon? What does Matt Luke need to do this year? <laughs> oh, man. How much time do we have? So, <laughs> it's an interesting dynamic because when Ashley rode into the season with Freeze's coordinators, which I think it's fair to call that a mistake, but at the same time, you think you go through that crazy interim year, those guys helped you get the job, you know, I mean, you know, two days before the Egg Bowl, that entire staff was probably putting out resumes and trying to figure out where to put their house on the market. But, like, when you survive something like that, I think he felt some sort of depth of gratitude to him. And then, of course, the way last year went, you had to make changes. So I say that all that to say is he hires two new coordinators. I think he made two good hires with guys that are experienced. I think he kind of put his ego aside because you think about it, something goes bad. Those are two guys that have won Coach of the Year in two different conferences. Like, there's they got interim written all over it. So I thought that took a lot of, a lot of I guess, moxie and, and, and put his ego aside. So, And they're a really young football team. So this is kind of a regroup, rebuild year and kind of see how it looks. But at the same time, I don't think the fan base is going to react very well if they go 3-9, and 2-10. and 10. But then add on a whole other layer on top of that, who's going like, to yeah. make a change? You have an interim athletic director and an interim chancellor. So, like, there's no – like, he's definitely getting a 2020. I, I, I don't foresee any scenario at all, particularly with the leadership in place or lack thereof currently, that he doesn't get one. But what happens is if you're really bad in 2019 and they hire a new guy in 2019, you got a new AD that didn't hire you. You're coming off a bad year. That leash is pretty much non-existent. So – 
it, but at the same time, you go six and six, five and seven, or something, and kind of build some momentum, then you probably got some clout. So it's a it'll be a fascinating year, and it's it's certainly a really important one for him. But I do think he has some wiggle room. They just can't really they can't bomb the season. I guess is what I'm saying. The last what four Egg Bowls in a row have been won by the road team. It'll be interesting to see what happens when the Rebels come to Oxford on Thanksgiving night uh, in a few months. So you're welcome to come to my house for uh, for turkey, though. I'll have to hold you to that. Yeah, that's kind of weird. The last four road teams, and then before that, you didn't really have one since like what Eli in '03, something like state, that. State one in ten in Oxford, and that was the only. That's right. Yeah, that's and then right. the last that's time right. the road team had won before that, you're right, was Eli's senior year in '03. So yeah. Just, just the egg bowl, man. I'll never try to, to predict it, although we just saw it. <laughs> All right, Brian Scott Rippey, you know where to hear him on the Rebel Report at, at supertalk.fm and, of course, with me every day on Sports Talk Mississippi. Thanks, man. Thanks, dude. All right, thanks to Brian. Appreciate his time, getting his thoughts on the Rebels. All right, for me, you know, I heard what he said about Matt Corral being a more willing runner than he, he expected last year. But there's a difference between being a willing runner when when the when it's, you know, hey, I, I see a, a lane here, I'm going to take it, and the play is designed to be a run for me, because then you don't have it's not a lot of option in there. Yeah. You know, it's it's just you're running the ball here. Do you, you see Corral as a guy who can handle? I mean, in Rodriguez's offense, they're going to need 10, 10, 12, 15 carries a game from him. Is he a guy who can do that? Do you think? Uh you know, I mean, I guess it remains to be seen, but he seems like a guy to me that kind of has the. I guess I'm going off a little bit just to his, the, what I perceive to be his personality a little bit. He definitely seems like a guy that would be willing to do that. You know, he definitely seems like a guy that, uh, you know, give me the ball, I want to try to make a play kind of dude. Uh, is he built to withstand that? I mean, I, I guess that's to be determined. But, you know, I I, I mean, I'm interested to see how that, how that works. You know, this, I, I guess, what are your thoughts on, on him? I mean, do you, do you feel like he... Well, here, I guess I'm, here's what my I would opinion say. of him is so shaped a little bit by the egg bowl fight yeah. at the end. And yeah. Do I think he's soft or do I think he's? Like I think he's talented, aggressive. I, I don't know. Um, here's what here's what I would say. That I'm going to give you. You know what? What someone one of these is not like the other. Pat White, Denard Robinson, Khalil Tate, Matt Corral. Yeah. One of those guys is not the runner. Those other three guys are. So I, if I'm Ole Miss, I'm a little worried about that. Now, Rodriguez is a veteran coach. My guess is, because he, he was the offensive coordinator at Tulane back when Sean King was there, and Sean King was not a great runner, but they were a very productive offense. So my guess is he's smart enough and he can make the adjustments to get his guys the ball. Uh, for the first time in a long time, if I had to take a backfield, I think Kylan Hill is the most talented back. But for... Depth and everything. I mean, Ole Miss is pretty good. Scotty Phillips was nearly a thousand yeah. yard rusher. Would have been a thousand yard rusher if he hadn't gotten hurt. Uh, Isaiah Woolard gave them some quality depth. They have Jerion Ely there. They've got some playmakers in the backfield, but then at receiver, they're all gone. Right? Metcalf is gone. Brown is gone. Lodge is gone. And Dawson Knox is gone at tight end. They're going to have to be for the first time, maybe since Deuce McAllister or maybe even Ben Jarvis Green Ellis. If you want to get a little closer, they're going to be a running offense. I think more than anything else at Ole Miss. And you heard Rippy sort of hit on it for a minute, and I, I didn't really ask him about it. But you know that offensive line—they they lost Little, they lost Rawlings, uh, they lost uh, Javon Patterson. That's getting rebuilt, basically. That to me is not good news. No, no, not at all. Do you kind of do you kind of see? I don't know. For my lifetime, 
it, it seems like State has always been the you know the running school, the yes, big bruising yes, running yes, school, yes, yes. and like Ole Miss has kind of been more of the. I mean, you just saw the receiving core; they just got you know they just left with AJ, yeah. and I kind of see them as more the the air attack kind of more school. the finesse. Do you, kind of, do you kind of see that those roles starting to shift a little bit with Moorhead liking the the big play down the field? Thing Maybe, and but like, I mean Moorhead. I mean, as much as State ran the ball last year, and I don't think they'll run it with Stevens as much, but they'll still run the ball. Um, but Ole Miss is going to be more physical than they've been in past, years past. The problem is that's a transitional thing. You've got to recruit to that. And this year that, you know, yeah. it's such a, a weird situation. And Rippy alluded to it as well that really Luke could go 2-10. and 10 And he, how are they going to fire him? They don't have an athletic director or a chancellor. There's no one to fire him. Yeah. So it's just, a, it's just a, look, I understand a lot of state fans are going to be you know, jovial that it is, but it's a really bad situation up there. There's just a vacuum of leadership right now. If you look at it objectively, nobody knows who they're answering to, probably. You know, you've got Keith Carter there. He's he's the athletic director, but who is he answering to? And what can he really do? I mean, right now, I made this comment. What Right now, if, let's say we woke up tomorrow and Matt Luke got pulled over with a bag full of cocaine and, and two, you know, dead bodies in the trunk, Who's going to fire him? <laughs> you know, and then who, who's uh, they just going to give Rodriguez the interim? I mean, what? That's that's a real mess up there, and it's just from top to bottom right now. And we'll see if MSU can take advantage of it. I don't know if they can. Defensively is the pro- the biggest problem for Ole Miss. Even if, even if they're half as good as they were, even if they're good as they were offensively last year, which I don't think they will be. This is sort of the opposite of State. We think State is going to take a step back defensively, but we feel like the offense is going to be better. And then the other side of that is we think that Ole Miss is going to be worse offensively, but the defense isn't any good because they don't have any talent. I mean, you think about Benito Jones. Is probably he was a five. First off, with Benito Jones, you can it's fair to label him a bust. He's a five star. He was the number two defensive tackle in the country. I don't know that he would even start at state this year. Even with Simmons gone, I don't know that he would start. Um. And then I mean they have some a couple of good guys, young guys, but they don't have any they don't have any depth. They don't have any pass rush. I mean, I just see teams going through them again, to be honest with you. So I mean, right now when I look at Ole Miss, I see a team that, you know, if they go four and eight, that's probably about right for them. I mean, I don't think they're gonna beat Memphis. I don't think they're gonna beat Cal. I don't think they're gonna beat Vanderbilt. You know, I don't think they're going to be they, they might not beat Arkansas. Who are they going to beat? They have they two of their non-conference games are tough, Memphis and Cal. You know, maybe they get lucky and beat Vandy, maybe they get lucky and beat Arkansas State, Auburn, LSU, Alabama, A&M, none of those are wins. They have Missouri, that's not a win. They have uh, Vandy, who I mean, so what you want about Vanderbilt, they've beaten them so much recently. Why would I think it's just automatically a win? The Rebels to me I don't know. They're they're just in flux right now. Now, I know that it's cyclical. And I know in a couple of years they'll be back up and running, and they'll be, you know, they'll be back to where they were, sort of under nut. You know, a consistent eight nine win team. They can get there, it's just like State can get there. But right now is not that is that time, and that's why I think on Thanksgiving night the Golden Egg will stay uh, in uh, Starville. Yeah, and I can just hear it in your voice, Brian. It sounds like one of those things that you just hate to see. <laughs> I'm trying to be objective over here. <laughs> yes, I do. I do. I do hate to see it. It hurts. It hurts in my soul. All right, no show tomorrow. Joel and I hit the road to Joel Maha and Nebraska, and then we will have a weekend pod for you. I'm going to try to catch up with a friend of mine from Auburn, maybe talk about that, and uh, but we will preview 
game one of the College World Series for Mississippi State. One way, or the, I guess technically it's game four. Yeah, but State's game one. State's game one. We'll do all that. All right, we will see you in Omaha if you're headed there. If not, we'll talk to you very, very soon. For Joel T. Coleman, I'm Brian Haydad. Thanks for listening to Thunder and Lightning on Super Talk Mississippi. The next one and I'm gonna kill you Don't believe it, but I'm betting that you will Stop, no! I'll let you lick a little bit with the pain that I bring You know it's only the beginning Stop, oh! Let's go the next one and I'm gonna kill you Don't believe it, but I'm betting that you will Stop, no! I'll let you lick a little bit with the pain that I bring You know it's only the beginning Stop breaking the minute inside you Stop making some more to hide you I'm breaking the limit Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.